Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Here at Connecticut Public, we get to work alongside some pretty talented interns, often recent college graduates or graduate students. They bring fresh insights, ideas, and angles to all of our shows, including Where We Live. One of our current interns, Letitia Peters, pitched us an idea about Gen Z's influence on the arts and media where we live. Here's Letitia on that idea in her own words. Coming from a preppy nautical town where alternative cultures are shunned and hidden from the public eye, I've always been fascinated by how youthful trailblazers with similar backgrounds such as mine managed to seek out and exist within niche communities. Then it clicked. We were quite literally raised by the internet, where we've had access to information we barely have the attention span for, and I've created profiles on social media platforms to connect with like-minded peers across the country and the globe. So I had the idea of highlighting Connecticut-born Gen Zers who have not only harnessed the virtual world to find where they fit in, but have left their rooms and created space in their real conventional worlds for the unconventional. I hope with this episode that listeners can see just how this new generation's ambiance is multicultural, genre-bending, and mixed-media-coded. So no, we aren't all sitting around on our phones and doing nothing. We're actively rebuilding a world for ourselves in our own way. Coming up, we'll hear from two thriving creative communities in Connecticut. But first, hyperpop was at the heart of Letitia's pitch. It's a newer musical genre born out of 2000s electronic music. She was interested in how hyperpop artists defy the genre they're associated with and how that seems reflective of Gen Z's transgressive and boundary-shifting nature. And one of the biggest names in hyperpop right now is Eric DLA. He's a singer and songwriter from Connecticut, and he's here with us now. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. You're joining us. (laughs) You're joining us from the West Coast, so we appreciate you being up and early for us. And for our listeners, just a question for you too: How are young people reviving the arts and media where you live? or on your phone, let us know, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Eric, uh, we'll talk about your connection with Hyperpop in a little bit, but first I would love for you to sort of take us back. You know, you grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut. Where did your love for music start? Uh, Who influenced you? Uh, Well, specifically, I grew up in Fairfield County. I grew up in uh, Monroe, Connecticut, around uh, the Trumbull and Newtown area. Uh, so shout out. Um, but I think uh, really my family um, in being uh, specifically not just from uh, Connecticut, but being Puerto Rican from Connecticut, I think being uh, surrounded by music my entire life was definitely something that affected the uh, the choices or the um, creative, I guess, uh, response later in my teenage years uh a lot of the music that my parents played and they're listening right now so shout out to my parents um 
a lot of them uh like a lot of the music that they played was like a lot of 80s freestyle a lot of 80s pop music a lot of stuff that they grew up on so you know i um immensely thank thank them for putting me on at such a young age well, I definitely hear those influences in your music, and you've also I'm so glad <laughs> you definitely captured the vibes. That's for sure. And you've also talked <laughs> about Connecticut in some interviews, and it's not always glowing. I have indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually, so you have a song with Glaive that's called "F This Town." Can you tell yes, us indeed. a little bit about that song, and how would you sort of describe Connecticut's impact on your journey as an artist? So contrary to popular belief, it's really not about Connecticut or about like <laughs> anything that revolves around the state. I think um, that we were just like, you know, messing about, just trying to figure out a hook at that moment. We're we're young lads, so we're, we're, we're throwing out anything out there. So um, I think uh, the way that that song really came to be and, and um, the way that we incorporated just like our uh, maybe like uh, in little innuendos of our uh lives being both of us are from extremely small uh areas and small communities i think uh i think that song is definitely an ode but definitely not an intentional ode to, <laughs> to what we had going on well i think that makes sense i think sometimes you don't realize what you're doing until you're actually doing it or you have a thing right and so i Very guess you know yeah. yeah so with i mean with what you're saying too you know the town is not a literal town but it's definitely about your experiences and and being from, you know, from Monroe or from Connecticut, you know, what about where you're from? Does it limit your ability to do what you want or does it actually expand your ability to do what you want? You know, what was your experience like? I think that question can be answered in like two different ways because physically, yes. But I think a lot of the... um a lot of the shackles, I think, or, or the or the or the handicap, I think, is um, mental because I really don't think it matters where you are. I feel like in the world, you know, as long as you have, you know, something that you could call um, your own, I guess, in a creative aspect, I don't think it really matters. But um, definitely, growing up and in my younger years, I was very, you know, I guess hyper. Um, hyper attentive to the fact that I was in this like state line and I couldn't leave this state line, you know, mm -hmm. but as soon as I was able to leave, um, I was very <laughs> excited. I, I don't want to make it sound like I was begging to leave Connecticut, but um, I feel like in those types of areas revolving around career based, like such as music or anything with the arts or creative, um, it's not really uh, paid attention to or like, um, help festered it's more of like a situation where you grow up in a town like i grew up in it's like oh you, sure. you know graduate go to college get the job get the wife and live a happy you know right live a happy rest of your days but um yeah i don't know i guess the different paths and uh i am learning to appreciate what connecticut did for my brain and um <laughs> sure it affected me yeah, no, I think there's something very valuable being able to cross over the state lines and, and get a different experience. And of course, you as a musician, you sure. know, having sure. ex having experiences and different kinds of experiences, I can imagine it being really important to your to your songwriting you know experience as well. And so, do you do you come and perform in Connecticut? You know, we we know you I've been in Boston, New York. Never, I think. Oh, yeah, okay. Never never done a show in Connecticut. Any yeah, plans I'm to to do it? Yeah, no, of course. Definitely one of these days I, I have to come through and, and, and show my face because <laughs> it's been a it's been a, a long time of 
I mean, we haven't really done too many shows, mm-hmm. but um, now I guess we're going into that type of well that type of mode. And I was gonna, I was gonna say, speaking of showing your your face, you know, how would you say that the pandemic has impacted how you got your start? You know, you re- you released oh, your first oh, studio album in January of 2020. What a time mm-hmm. to do that! What was that like? Um, it was surreal. I mean, like any person that you ask that has direct involvement in whatever that was from 2022. I don't really want to put a, a, a expiration date on it, but um, I think from 2020, from that time, it was such a wild, wild, wild time because everything that you would expect to happen, like um, the complete 180 opposite <laughs> happened. Um, I was not expecting for like an entire community to be born and a bunch of people enjoying music that like a bunch of people made that was just spontaneous and like not really any extreme thought of having it be a career behind it. There are like a bunch of teenagers on the internet that have now become uh, very well-respected creatives and, 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 and artists from just being in the crib right. <laughs> for, yeah. for a year. You're, you're present actually in the virtual space and that's obviously very valuable to you um, because it plays such a big role, the internet itself. So can you give us like a specific experience or an idea, um, especially towards like video games and world building influences? How does the internet, you know, uplift or help facilitate the sort of rumblings of your career in music? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, I think if you want to like bring up the addition of uh, video games and stuff like that, I think it was definitely something that was very important towards that community because um if it wasn't for those like those little pockets of the internet where you would find little niche communities people who appreciate certain video games or even like soundtracks of video games on certain different you know corners of the internet or like anything that has to do with like playable media or or, like whatever i think um once more people met each other i think that allowed everyone's interest of world building and of you know um things that have to do with like playable media i think uh, played an absolute massive role in what we have now. I love a video game soundtrack. I've never actually played yes, the game Assassin's well. Creed, but I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. With the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me, makes me feel like whatever I'm doing is really epic and enigmatic, yeah. and that's just not my real life. So, um, but since, <laughs> since your big that break... That's absolutely not true. Come on. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very, very much. Um, but since your big break in 2021, you've been described as the face of hyperpop you know despite your you have uh, a de- you have a dedication to making sort of like labelless music or you're not a fan of labels but how do you feel about mm-hmm. this association with hyperpop or about genres or just labels in general to be honest with you and i'm like going to be 100 percent um i think that a lot of people um like the reason why labels exist right is because you know people need to call something something because you know it's very anxiety inducing to listen to something and not be able to you know wrap your head around it but um i think a lot of people don't um uh, i think whenever somebody gets asked this question especially from people from this community it's uh, definitely a confusing way to respond to it because it's it's, you know something that was a, a great time in all of our lives and a great time as um you know young people figuring out that they just found their calling and they just found their purpose. But um, I think when you, when it gets brought up in a sense where it was like a past thing and now it's like, okay, we're here now, three years later, 
what are we what, what are we doing are we still going to call this that are we still going to you know do something i think a lot of people in their in their um journey of maturing through their art and through their creation they uh they tend to like i don't know disregard but i think uh that was a point in my life where it was uh, a beautiful moment and uh and i will never forget it and it was it was so great and it has affected my art uh i think completely as, as a sense of you know making things that don't attach to the uh standard status quo or the norm and as you sort of continue to unattach yourself to that you know can you speak more on the ways that young artists like yourself and gen zers in general are helping to defy labels like if your friends or people that you work with are you seeing that happening more Oh, of course. I, I think it's like the accessibility that music has now is is the reason why things are bending. And I think a lot of people are, you know, confused or a lot of people like um, don't really appreciate it because if we, we look at statistics actually for music right now. A lot of the music being streamed, especially on, um, you know, streaming services and DSPs are all uh old music it's 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 like the last you know like music that was made in the last 10 to 15 years but i feel like um with what we have going on now i think so many people are missing out on this beautiful i i, I could say renaissance i feel like because um there are things that are being done that are solely like so unorthodox mm-hmm. that it makes it sound so beautiful and everybody now has a chance to like you know, take a stab at what, you know, the beautiful language of music is. And I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of people are missing out because of, you know, just blatant just fear. It may not seem like fear. Sorry if I'm rambling, no, but no. it may not seem like fear. But uh, I feel like a lot of people are, are are anxious when it comes to art and consuming art and, and, and consuming music. Sure. And and with that in mind, too, you know, how would you describe your fan base? You now, who finds you? Because it's, uh, oh my goodness. I mean, the Internet <laughs> is a black hole. It, it It's a great and scary place sometimes, depending on what you're doing. Uh, but how would you describe well, your fan so, base? It's so terrifying. It is the scariest place on Earth. But um, I think how I would describe my fan base, I think, I don't know. I think it's 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 like a two-way thing because i i have fans that just love me for the music and i have fans that love me for just the, my personality or the, the way i guess um i am as a human being which is sick and amazing and i I love that um but yeah i think a lot of my fans just understand my sentiments and they and they get my school of thought and I, we have similar schools of thought i guess um because a lot of people are just bored like you know right. there's there's a lot of music that we we've, we've listened to and it's been out for a pretty long time and i'm not gonna say that it's 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 not amazing timeless music but like i don't know there's 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 a time for new things to come through i feel like we've just been repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again sure and especially with the last three years i'm sure some newness in that sense can be really refreshing. And I know we've talked a lot about how central a role the internet plays, but can you also talk about the importance of actually making that tangible move, getting off the internet? Because you've talked about how just leaving your room was a big deal. And we're talking about, you know, you're putting your face out there and your person out there. You know, how has that experience been? So what no one tells you as a teenager who's going into art and making music is that you're reanimating yourself not only as a human in real life that your friends and your family know, but you're also reanimating yourself on a plane of existence that everyone has access to that will never be deleted, that will, you know, cease to exist, uh, sorry, will continue to exist 
like forever. So um, I think it was a really stressful, um, you know, time for myself because I was what the modern times are definitely declaring it chronically online. Mm -hmm. And I was very deep into uh internet consumption along with my music and that's you know how though you know that's how we got to this point but um i think once i turned 17 years old and i graduated high school and i was like hey mom and dad uh, i wanna i wanna go pursue you know what i want to go pursue with music and i moved out to atlanta um it was a time period for me of just you know every single emotion that you could you know possibly think of as a person first moving out on their own and being by themselves but right um it was an absolute necessity and i think that especially with how um you know the world is right now and how a lot of you know teenagers and uh, the new generation that's coming up is using the internet for self-medication of just distracting themselves from you know the powers that be um i think it's definitely a, a um it's definitely something we have to talk about in a in a creative sense where, you know, not only do we have to be on the internet and use our internet inspirations, but we actually have to go outside and experience life because I feel like we forget to do that as well. Right. A little balance between the two worlds, I think. And, and because the internet has brought you such joy and you were able to make your art, find people who appreciate the art and find friends and like-minded people on the internet, how do you see your role in shaping the culture and creating community, both physical and virtual world, you know, big picture and long-term? Uh, big picture and long-term, I just hope it lasts for as long as it does. I mean, I think that being somebody who's able to create a community and create uh, a bunch of like-minded individuals that are, you know, together because they like something that I created is is something that I that's something you don't ask for that's something that mm -hmm. you that, that is like impossible and it's handed to you in, in a sense if you deserve it or if you've created something that deserves that level of appreciation but um yeah I mean long term I just hope it continues and I hope that you know we just grow stronger and <laughs> stronger throughout what we throughout what we do and what's your message to young alternative kids from small, sort of societally uniform parts of the world, as we talked about earlier, who want to carve out a different path for themselves? You know, something that's that may not be typical, um, but I feel like this is an unorthodox moment. Of course not. I think that you know, a call back to I think what we said previously is that it's it's two it's two physical battles. It's it's uh it's it's you know actual being here and you know being feeling that feeling of uh, being stuck and not being able to escape and having that you know everlasting you know stagnant just you know I'm I'm here and this is what I'm confined to versus the. Um, uh, Reverse is being excited for the future and being happy that, you know, that you know that it's impossible to be stuck in one place forever. And uh, there's experience waiting for you everywhere. I think um, I think it's just a thing that's so common with living over in the areas that we grew up in. That is just um, you feel unappreciated and you feel not attached to whatever you, you know, are spawned in pretty much and i think that um it, it definitely hurts but you know it, it, it it's, it's it's a cliche but it'll it'll all it'll all get better 
well, cliches are cliches for a reason. I think there's a lot of truth in cliches, right? And I'm sure 100%. what you just shared would resonate with so many people. And sort of a counter question to what I just asked is, you know, do you, what are you, what's your message to older generations who may be listening? Um, what do you hope they get from this conversation? I think that I've realized now from from uh, just just recently turning twenty one and looking at people who are you know young making music right now as well, or, or younger than me. But um, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we all have. If you just look at history and you look at the things that happen in, in, with hip hop, with pop, with every single genre, there's always going to be a group of older people who are like oh this isn't what we had when we were growing up and i think that we need as you know gen z to stop that culture of hating on every single new generation that um pops up i feel like if i talk to my pops right now like he would tell me something about like how music right now sounds crazy and that he doesn't want to listen to like half the stuff that i put on but um i think being understanding of creation and being understanding of change and change being such an important thing mm -hmm. uh with not only just music and creation and art but just life um i think being accepting of you know how people are going to do things differently and how that could affect the way music is made just needs to be uh i think talked about a little bit more i think with our uh with our generation because i catch myself already hating and i'm like oh i can't do this Don't i do can't that. i can't like <laughs> i can't i can't do this i have to be attentive and you know i'd be a hypocrite if i did that sure and i i always find myself learning so much um by by those conversations you know thinking I think I, I thought I knew something, but I did not. Um, so keep, keep your mind open. In <laughs> yeah, a story, yeah, yeah. story of all of our lives, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And and change seems to be the theme of life here. And I have a final question for you, um, but I just would okay, love okay. to know, you know, your experience so far. Is there something that surprised you? What's the most surprising Some, thing for you? Something that surprised me. Oh, my God. I feel like that's such a great question that I'm so unprepared for. Um there was a lot that surprised me honestly i didn't i didn't expect to be um so like obviously growing up in a place like this you know everyone has a different personality type and you know i definitely wasn't a huge socialite or a or, or, or somebody who uh went out a lot and you know spoke to people but it's crazy how you get put into a situation where you would never expect that this would be happening to you or you never thought that you would be the person that uh took a, this type of career path but i don't know it was i think it, what was surprising is that i it seemed like everything fell into place like everything locked into its um its its station and just you know and now i'm the person that i am i guess i did not expect to be able to <laughs> to be able to honestly to get on here and speak to you like i i never expected that i would be able to do this but you know i guess uh with change things just happen and well, you know we grow out of old tendencies well it helps you uh appreciate this i definitely didn't expect to be here and having this conversation with you either in the best way possible <laughs> so we appreciate amazing your, we appreciate your time so much you've been listening to singer oh, you songwriter. So you've been listening to singer songwriter and producer eric dla this is his latest single kickstand eric thank you so much for your time today we appreciate it thank and learned so much thank you Coming up, we hear from a local K-pop dance crew and one New Haven business owner committed to sustainability. How is Gen Z shifting boundaries or influencing arts and culture where you live? 
let us know. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're spotlighting youth-led arts movements in Connecticut. K-pop has emerged as a global phenomenon in the recent years, and it's inspired many K-pop dance crews across the country, including several here in Connecticut. And joining us now to discuss are members of Solar, a K-pop dance group at the University of Connecticut. And we have with us Gina Tran, who is the group's president and its vice president, Alan Tran. Thank you so much, Gina and Alan, for being with us this morning. Thank you so much for having us. And K-pop fans, give us a call. Join a conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Gina, I want to start with you. You know, what was your first introduction into the world of K-pop? You know, was it something that was already mainstream, you already knew about it, or was it something that you discovered? So, it's actually a funny story because I remember I've heard one of my cousins talk about it, and it never really piqued my interest until... One day I heard my sister listening to K-pop um, in our house and I was like, oh, like this sounds pretty cool. And it kind of went history from there. Well, I sort of like the unexpectedness since Eric DLA was just talking about that earlier in the conversation. You know, Alan, what about you? How did you hear about uh, KCON, which is the organization that includes solar? And how did you get involved? Uh, joining KCON was definitely interesting. I don't think my experience would be the same as the kids joining now uh, since my first year in university was during COVID. So actually, all of our club activities were online. My first experience with KCON was joining a dance workshop that was actually held through Zoom. It was really interesting because all of the participants had their camera off. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about the atmosphere, though, I guess, uh, still drew me into the club. And now I've been with the club for four years. Wow. So the music literally transcended through the screen is what you're telling me. <laughs> what was your uh, exposure to K-pop? Was that something that you were already listening to or did you discover it elsewhere? Uh, K-pop has been 
something that's been just around me, I would say. Uh, growing up Asian American, there's always been at least like one person who had listened to K-pop,、uh, going to family parties.、Uh, they would put K- the K-pop music videos on the screen. I remember being really young and trying to learn the dances.、Uh, it was never anything serious until probably around 2016, which is when I was starting high school and developing my own music tastes. That sounds amazing. And, and Gina, how did you hear about KCON? Was the pandemic a factor for you as well? Um, it was definitely a factor because at that time I was getting ready to you know graduate high school and I was looking to different colleges and my parents both really wanted me to go to、uh, UConn due to the fact that it, you know it's close and they didn't want me to go out of state due to the pandemic so then I was just looking up you know UConn student orgs and at that time I still really loved you know being involved with K-pop doing K-pop dances and I saw. That KCON and Solar was a thing, so I was like, maybe I'll check it out when I move onto campus if it ever happened. So the both of you have connected with K-pop. This is certainly something that has connected so many people around the globe. And so I'm curious to hear, you know, at its core, what do you think connects all of you beyond like dance covers and appreciation for K-pop? Gina, we'll start with you. Um. I think it's. I don't think there's like a specific pinpoint. Sure. I think it's just you know the overall shared love for music itself, and it's just so awesome to see. You know, like we usually have our general interest meetings at the beginning of each semester, and it's so awesome to see you know which people like certain groups, which people can share the same like、um, the same music tastes and songs and whatnot. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. It totally does, and I love that idea of shared love.、Uh, I feel like that's the theme of today's conversation. Alan, what about you? You know, has this dance crew sort of fostered a sense of community among your friends and dancers across campus? I definitely think so. I think that K-pop, especially recently, has evolved to be more than just a music genre,、uh, especially online. I think that like being a K-pop fan is、uh, an identity in itself. Uh, you can see in the type of fashion that people wear and the type of lingo they use.、Uh, when we come to our GIMs, you can see people branch off into、uh, different, I guess, cliques or friendships based on like what groups or what kind of branches of K-pop they like. So I think that K-pop has kind of transcended a、uh, just being a music genre has become like a community in itself. Well, Alan, I love what you just said because I think transcending through. X Y Z is something that we've been talking about today as well, and and Gina, we've talked a lot about labels、uh, today and how Gen Z tends to defy them. What are your thoughts about K-pop as a label for this genre of music, especially with what Alan just shared? I think with labels, it's in my perspective. I feel like it's difficult because from what I've seen in like. Gen Z generations, people are like, oh, if you like K-pop, it's like kind of like looked down upon, especially in like high school and um like high school kids nowadays, because they're like, oh, you like K-pop, like that's so weird. Why do you like K-pop? Like even when I was in high school, I felt like I faced that um like the stereotype. It's like it didn't match with what everybody was listening, like Western hip hop, Western pop, R and B. And 
I think, you know, having that sense of community in K-pop, it's nice for people to, you know, at least like make friends within that small community and love that overall big, vague genre. And Gina, you were listening along during our conversation with uh, Eric Doa, a DOA, sorry, Eric DLA, who's a hyper pop artist. Now, what are your thoughts about what makes Gen Z unique? You know, what is it about Gen Z that stands out? Um, so I remember when he mentions, you know, like the term being socially, like um, chronically online. And I think what makes Gen Z so unique is like by being quote unquote chronically online, there is always going to be more support, um, especially online to, you know, at least like broadcast more media on um, various different platforms, such as like, you know, if you're showcasing music or videos, you can at least like stream on different platforms now and at least like showcase different artists and their um, and their music. And Ellen, what about you? you? You've also been listening to our chat with Eric DLA earlier and, and about this bigger conversation about what makes Gen Z so impactful in the arts and media. You know, what are your thoughts about what makes Gen Z unique? Uh, on the point of Gen Z being chronically online, I think it's the fact that uh, before uh, 2016, 2018, uh, there wasn't really a way to get access to like K-pop. K-pop only uh, became... I guess as widespread as it was because Gen Z uh have like they grew up and got into the age where they have such a strong understanding uh and a way to explore the internet and find uh, different resources. Uh it extends like outside of music as well. I think the internet has just connected people that you would never have thought uh to have that connection with before uh the internet as it is now existed, especially with the rise of platforms such as Twitter and TikTok. Uh, there are so many ways to consume different kinds of content in such small amount of times. And Gina, what is the audition process like? You know, what kind of dancers or or personalities or styles are you looking for in in terms of look uh, the perspective of uh, dance crew members? So as of recent, we've been trying to be more, um, I, feel, I don't know if this is the right word to say, like uh, more diverse in looking for dancers, especially on um, for like solar specifically. So we try to like look for dancers that can be diverse in performing well and not just one specific genre mm. of K-pop, but like others different genres, such as like people that can do like some sort of like cute concept are also able to do like some sort of like very powerful concept in a song, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And it sounds really fun to have all these multifaceted performances. It sounds like such a good time. And and Alan, what other upcoming events can you tell us about? Sounds like there's a Jeopardy event in the works. Uh, yes, we have a lot of smaller events like uh, Jeopardy and karaoke. And we want to do some binge watching of a lot of survival shows but our two big main events uh that we have annually are uh our winter extravaganza being held uh december 2nd i believe which is where we showcase uh completely student-run uh performances we put on a mini i guess like talent show for all of our performers it's a really fun way to kind of relax 
inshallah, their hard work before the end of the semester. And then in the spring, we do a annual charity showcase where we try to fundraise money. Our recent charity was to uh, providing dance opportunities for those who are maybe physically or mentally challenged. Uh, so that's in the spring where we put on a very big, very extravagant showcase uh, with lights, with videos. It's a really great event. If anyone's interested, we have some of our videos up on YouTube. Well, that sounds like you are all going to be very, very busy in the next couple of months. So we appreciate your time coming on where we love to share your experience with us. You've been listening to Alan Tran and Gina Tran with KCON at the University of Connecticut. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank Thank you so much. And you will soon be listening to the K-pop group Blackpink as we come out of this conversation. And up next, Eris Hammond, a.k.a. Mini PNG, joins us to discuss her business that's taking off in New Haven and how spotlighting other creatives and, and designers has been key to her success. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're spotlighting youth-led movements in the arts where we live. We talked about music, we've talked about dance, and now we're going to zoom in on design. Joining us now to discuss her success is Eris Hammond, a.k.a. Mini PNG. Thank you so much, Eris, for joining us this morning. Hi, thank you for having me. How do young people influence the arts and media where you live? or on your phone. Let us know, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Eris, you were a pre-law student when you made this shift to design and shopping merchandising. Can you talk about what that path was like to opening Mini PNG and what drew you there? So, I've always been artistic pretty much my entire life. Um, And I feel like I was always kind of doing it as a side hobby. Um, And during school even, um, you know, like in high school and stuff, it was really pushed on us to, you know, go to college for, um, you know, important things, quote unquote. So um, I really wanted to go to FIT um, in high school and I was basically kind of just like told by many people that that wasn't something that, you know, I can make money in or really be successful in, or it's, it's just a very hard um, area of study to, you know, um, make money in. So I kind of pushed that part of me to the side as I started to get older and um honed in on you know the pre-law aspect because i really did um love law i've always been um a true crime lover uh, my entire life um and you know when i was a kid i did want to be a spy so i I feel like that kind of like 
uh, drove me um, as my for my second option, um, you know, closer to law. So I did go to school for law. And then a big part of why I made the switch was the pandemic. So um, at that time, you know, doing pre-law strictly online is like impossible, especially for somebody like me who has to be in person. Um, you know, it was really hard for me to focus online. Um, so I ended up taking a gap year in which I started creating clothing. Um, and at that point, since everybody was online, it ended up going viral and um, people were loving that side of me. And it really made me stop and kind of smell the roses a little bit and be like, you know, maybe I can do this, at least for the time being, um, you know, since we were all in lockdown. So I started creating clothing. And yeah, it was like, <laughs> it was like, oh, kind of like a dream come true. Um, I was selling out online like crazy and I was making an income, like a real income for the first time in my life. Um, especially, you know, being in college and as a pre-law student, I didn't really have time for a job. Well, I was just going to say the fact that you made this happen is amazing in of itself. And I'm so happy to hear that that it's been going really well. And so, you know, with this sort of side hobby turned into a business, how would you describe your designs to people who are unfamiliar with your style? You know? And also, how does sustainability factor into this? So um, I really... When people look at my work, right, they, they'll they compare me to a lot of different designers, um, which I try not to do because I feel like my work is my own. But if you were to compare me, I it would be definitely um, to something similar of Vivian Westwood type. Mm -hmm. I really like to create clothing that um, maybe brings out people's inner child um, because I feel like I was one of those individuals, um, you know, growing up that you start, you know, you start to realize that, you know, oh, like when I was a kid, I should have did this or I should have did that. And I feel like really getting older is really just fulfilling everything that you wanted to do when you were a kid at some point, um, you know, whether that's traveling or whatever. Um, the sustainability aspect comes in because I take you know, secondhand materials, and I form them into something, um, you know, maybe more exciting, or, you know, um, something that I kind of want to bring to life. Um, I, a lot of the times, you know, we're throwing out things that we may seem like uh, don't have any use anymore. But I take a double look at those things. Well, I love that you can combine sustainability and creativity together and create this really awesome business and, and design for yourself and now for others. And spotlighting other up and coming creatives is also a central part of your mission. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So my shop um, essentially uh, features other artists and designers um, from all over. So my whole process, when I first started, um, I was back and forth from New York, um, like at least three times a week. Um, and that was around the time that I first went viral. And that was between, um, you know, um, app developers wanting to include me and also doing pop-ups, um, which were uh, 
um, were and are like a huge part of my business. Um, and I, you know, frequently go to New York and do pop-ups there, um, with like a few racks full of clothing that I made or like, um, vintage, um, as well. Um, so yeah, my, my goal has really always been to bring out, uh, um, the artist community, um, just because, you know, when I was first starting, I know I struggled with finding, um, areas that would include me, um, which is a big part of why I love New Haven. Um, because I feel like, you know, it's just a really large artistic environment here. And I don't really have that issue. Well, as I'm learning more about Connecticut and its pockets of communities, I've definitely uh, also discovered that New Haven is just bursting with art and creativity and music and what have you. And so you've also been listening along this hour to this larger discussion about how Gen Z is defying labels, doing a lot of this online, too. So what are your thoughts about the function and the role of the Internet and this idea of being chronically online and also, by contrast, how the real world and the brick and mortar shops sort of fit into this future. So I feel like the Internet, you know, like everything has its pros and its cons. Um, for me specifically, um, the pros were, you know, without the Internet, I would not be here, um, which is just the, the flat out truth. Um, I was able to expand, um, you know, just based off of posting things that I created and it reached people from not only in the U S but people in different countries, um, which I would not be able to do, um, without the internet. So I feel like, you know, um, there again, pros and cons to the internet. Sure. Um, and you know, there's always, you know, a limit um, to what you should do on the internet. Um, in that way, I feel like, especially my generation, um, we are, I will say we are very tied to our phones. Um, and I feel like a lot of it does have to do with the fact that we are a lot of times rewarded um, online with, for example, you know, things like um, going viral or um, we have, you know, we're making money from going viral or so there's like different things now um, that, you know, a lot of other generations may not see um, that are allowing us to, you know, kind of make a living for ourselves. Um, and, you know, Gen Z is really going to be the first um, well, now that we're older, I'm going to be the first, I, like, I will say case study um, in, you know, how the Internet has shaped us as individuals. Um, so I got about a minute left here, but I want to ask you one final question, especially what you just said, too. You know, what's your message to young Connecticut creators uh, and creatives such as yourself who are interested in design or creative collaboration, both on or offline? Um, so I feel like what I will say is that, um, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, branching off and, you know, leaving your corporate job, um, 
do it. I feel like people take life for granted um, and we only have so much time here on this earth. And if you wanna, if you wanna be a creative, I feel like that, you know, is something that you should go for. Um, coming from me specifically, I, it's almost cliche, but I really felt like I was on autopilot for a lot of my um, grade school life. Um, you know, just doing what I was told to do rather than really what I felt. Um, what I wanted to do. And as long as you're doing something that you love, you will always be successful, I believe. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful message. And and here, 30 seconds here, you've got an upcoming flea market that you're hosting on Black Friday. You got 30 seconds to tell us about that. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'm in partnership with um, one of my friends who runs Forgotten Flea. And basically, um, on a normal occasion, we shut down my entire street, but um, we will have different vendors in my shop. It'll be 40% off and we'll have $5 bins. That sounds amazing and very well done on that very succinct delivery. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have details about that event and your website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Eris, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And again, you're listening to Eric DLA. I am Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download wherever you live, anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>